I'm Mike Breen, Public Awareness Officer for the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with Jennifer Wilson, who's in the Natural Sciences and Mathematics Department at Eugene Lang College, the new school for liberal arts in New York. And we're talking about house apportionment or assigning seats in the House of Representatives. So Jennifer, can you tell us how that's done, you know, a little bit of the history and, and the math that's involved? Well, this is a really interesting subject, and I have to say I love teaching this because it's such a wonderful mixture of math and American history. Uh, it has a long involved history and it involves some of the most famous politicians at the beginning of the country's founding. So as some of your listeners may know, the uh, initial apportionment took place in around 1790 after the first census of the country was taken. And the, the problem was that the House and the Senate had to figure out how many representatives each state should have to go to Congress. And it sounds like a fairly intuitive problem. If the idea is to have a representative number of people for each state, then, for instance, if New Jersey, since I live in New Jersey, if New Jersey happens to have 8% of the population, you would expect it to have roughly 8% of the representatives. However, in practice, it turned out not to be so easy because for the simple reason that people come in whole numbers or integers, and proportions, of course, don't. And so what the founders of the country had to deal with was figuring out an approximation or a way to sort of get as close to this proportion as possible while sticking with whole numbers. And in 1790, there were sort of two approaches that were offered, one championed by Alexander Hamilton and the other by Thomas Jefferson. And they proposed different solutions and were based on different principles. And the, the short story, not if I ignore the, the mathematics for a moment, the historically interesting part of this is that the Senate and the House did approve a compromise bill based on the method proposed by Hamilton and George Washington after some consideration vetoed it and it was the first instance of the presidential veto. Later, the House and the Senate subsequently passed a bill that approved a method proposed by Jefferson. You mentioned there were famous politicians. Also, Daniel Webster had a method too, right? That's right. And that was um, in the 1830s he proposed a method after seeing some of the problems with both Jefferson's and Hamilton's method. It was never formally adopted in the country, but there were some sort of compromise bills um, that were approved during this period. At one point, the, the unofficial rule was to use Hamilton's method, but do it in such a way that it matched with Webster's method. And I, I should say one of the reasons why the problem was more difficult at the time was that the the uh, size of the house wasn't fixed. So currently, and since uh, 1929, the, we've had a fixed house of representative size of 435. But before that, uh, not only were the number of representatives up for grabs, but so was the total house size. So the number of variables became insurmountable. Is it easier to do with more seats or, or harder? I suppose you can get closer to a certain amount of proportionality, but the fundamental problems remain regardless of the house size. With all these methods, you would think maybe in over 200 years someone would come up with a perfect method. Is there a perfect method of signing seats? Yes, well, unfortunately, there is not, depending on how you define perfect, of course. But some of the problems were discovered historically. So there is the, the famous Alabama paradox, which was discovered in 1881, I think, when Alabama had joined the Union and they were considering a new apportionment to include Alabama and at the time they were using Hamilton's method and what happened under Hamilton's method is that the calculations revealed that if the house size was 
set at 299 total number of representatives, then Alabama would receive eight representatives. But if they increase the House size by one up to 300, then Alabama's representation would go down to seven. And this struck a lot of people as very paradoxical because you would think if the House size went up, there should be more seats to go around and you certainly wouldn't expect the state's representation to go down. And this is just one of the artifacts of Hamilton's method because it, it isn't strictly proportional. And that led to a lot of discontent with Hamilton's method. And on the flip side, Jefferson's method and Webster's method, both of which are part of a family of methods known as divisor methods, they suffer their own problems. The primary one being what's called the quota paradox. And the quota paradox simply says that if you're a state, you can be awarded more or less than your appropriate quota. And the quota would simply be the number of seats you'd be expected to get on a purely proportional basis. So to use the New Jersey example again, if New Jersey had, let's say, 8.5% of the population and there were 100 seats to go around, you would expect New Jersey to get about 8.5 representatives. And that number 8.5 is called the quota. So you would hope, since of course you can have 8.5, it's reasonable to suppose that in some kind of compromise or approximation, uh, you'd expect your apportionment to either be 8 or 9, since the closest whole number is to 8.5. But in fact, under Jefferson's method and other divisor methods, that doesn't always happen. In particular, Back at the beginning in 1790, one of the primary objections to Jefferson's method is that Virginia had a quota of about 19.5, and under Jefferson's method, it was going to be awarded 21 representatives. Was it any coincidence that it was Jefferson's state that was coming out better? Well, of course, there's much historical discussion about that. And the lore is that George Washington didn't like Hamilton's method because Virginia did not do as well, of course. <laughs> Uh, although there's a fair amount of historical evidence to suppose that he had other concerns about Hamilton's method having to do with the constitutionality of it, actually. But the short story is more fun to tell the students. So that's Jennifer Wilson, who's in the Natural Sciences and Mathematics Department at the New School for Liberal Arts. And in part two, uh, we'll talk about apportionment in general and the details of Hamilton's method.